0: <clears throat> what a what a great hymn to read before, uh, or to sing before we uh, uh, read the scriptures and look at a, a sermon today. You know, that's uh, one of the, you know, the person you talk to most in a day while we're talking about prayer, the person you talk to most, you know who that is? It's yourself. And you just did that. You just sung to yourself. Right? <laughs> Be still, my soul. So that's what a... What a great way to for us to begin, because uh, uh, and I, you know, especially to speak to yourself in light of the goodness and grace of God. So we're going to look today at Luke chapter eleven, verses one through thirteen, and uh, this is a, a text about prayer. A couple of things to note about this: the Gospel of Luke contains nine prayers of Jesus, nine. So in a in a book that has I don't know twenty something chapters. That's something that stood out to Luke. Luke portrays Jesus just not as the Lord he does, uh, not as someone who just cares for the poor and the downtrodden and the sinner. He does, but he also prays it, it portrays him as a prayer, right? And so, so that's in, that's important for us. We should we should take something away from that. I don't know what your image of Jesus is. You know, Lord Shepherd. Whatever. But one of the images that Luke wants us to have is that Jesus is someone who prays, right? And so that's a, that's, that's a great, great place for us to start. Um, and I'm going one of the things Kevin said, we're gonna talk a little bit about the posture of prayer. We are. And we're also gonna talk about the, the anti-posture of prayer. <laughs> uh, in, in the sense that there are those things that, uh, make prayer difficult. And one of them is, uh, uh, we talked about this briefly last week. Is distraction, and in fact, I went on record last week as saying that distraction is a probably a bigger uh, uh, enemy to the church than uh, hedonism is even. But I want to I want to clarify that a little bit, uh, and the reason why I want to clarify it a little bit is an experience I had uh, this week as a father, and since uh, Jesus wants us to go to our Father and our Father is good. I think this will be helpful to think about before we read the scriptures. Now, let me be clear. We are a distracted people, no doubt, right? Let's, let's, let's stipulate that, right? So uh, it's hard for us to pay attention to anything more than, and we, we like the kind of quick dopamine rush that we get to move on to the next thing. Um, Which, you know, if prayer is an ongoing communication, communing with God, then that's hard because we get distracted, right? You're praying about your day, and suddenly you're off thinking about your grocery list. So um, our uh, middle son, uh, Army Ranger, uh, trained warrior, is uh, involved in some duty that is uh, boring. Somewhat dangerous, and um, anyway, uh, here in the states. And so he calls us irregularly, uh, uh, usually uh, when I'm in bed asleep. But he, you know, he calls us, which you know, he used to do that when he was living with us. You know, he, the best time to talk is midnight. Um, so uh, he called us this week, and you know, we're so eager to hear from him that we drop everything whenever he calls. So it's a very sweet time for us to talk to him. And so we're talking. And he's filling us in on, you know, the duty and things that have, bad things that have happened, good things that have happened. And he's talking, and then he says all of a sudden, hey, hey Dad, hold on a minute. And I'm thinking, oh, what's happening? You know, I don't, is, you know, is he, what's he doing? And you hear the buzz of the window and his truck going down. His army truck, and he's like, I want a spicy chicken sandwich. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, as a father, you know, there's a couple uh, because I'm not his girlfriend, <laughs> or because I'm not that, I, I can hear that, and I'm I'm willing to wait until he places his order at Chick Fil A, uh, an extra Chick Fil A sauce, please. That's how I know it's my son. You know, he would he would drink just that if he could. And so, um, and then we go back to talking about what he's doing. Now, as his father, on the one hand, I think isn't that funny, that odd, and You could be like, you know, that little brat, you know, he's got this precious time to talk to his mom and his dad, and he interrupts that by ordering his supper. But you don't think that. You're delighted that you're with him and that you're talking to him, right? Uh, And so you're willing even to listen to his order at Chick-fil-A, which his mother says, you know, well, at least I know he got one good meal today. Right? So, so, so there, there is some, some, some comfort in that, right? So, so the fact that the, the, the truth of the matter is, yes, you know, we are distracted and I, and I would expect for many of you, one of the things that keeps you from thinking at least that you're effective in your prayers is because you're easily distracted. Well, guess what? That's not news to your Heavenly Father and His delight in you is not diminished by the fact that You've got to roll your window down periodically when you're praying and order you a spicy chicken sandwich. So uh, God's good. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Uh, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what a, what a great picture for us. And, and this, uh, this incident here in Luke, this, this text, you know, is not all that we could say this morning about prayer and it's certainly not all that Jesus has to say about prayer, but it's a good place for us midsummer to kind of take a moment uh and to engage and to look at, at what Jesus uh, this this uh, uh, occasion in Jesus's life where he spoke to his disciples, where they saw him pray and he taught him to pray. So, Scott, go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So one of the things to note about this is, is that Jesus is not just someone who teaches on prayer, but he was a prayer. Right. He was he was someone who did it so that his disciples could see him doing it. Now, we don't know, you know, where did Jesus step away a few steps and begin to pray and and they heard him, they saw him. Or uh, is he there in the middle of them and they're talking and he interrupts their talking by praying? What, whatever it is, it made an impression upon one of the disciples. They see and hear Jesus praying and suddenly they just said, you know what? I want to pray. I want to pray like that. I want Jesus to teach me how to pray. Now, let me just say at the very beginning here before you get distracted. If you're struggling to pray. And you have a hard time doing it. And it is difficult for you to pray. Here's where to begin. Not a resolution to pray more, but just simply say, Lord, teach me to pray. Right? Just, just start right there. You know, because, because the fact is, there's, I, I, I can't, what I know about God is not very much. What I know about Jesus is not very much. But I do know this. That when Jesus Christ hears his people honestly say, I'm not a very good prayer, I don't know how to pray, teach me to pray, he will do it. He'll do it, right? So, you know, our tendency is to fall back on ourselves and to think, you know, because as, as you listen to yourself pray or you, you count the fact that maybe in the last week you've been largely prayerless, uh, The the fact of the matter is that Jesus immediately responds to this, doesn't he? Lord, teach us to pray, right? And he said immediately, right? When you pray, say. So, so Jesus immediately responds and, and goes to not only give an example of a way to pray, but even gives underneath that why uh, prayer is such a, a joyful and great thing uh, for his people. So so that's a, that's a great place for you to begin today. If If you struggle with prayer, if you're ashamed of your prayer life, if you are embarrassed by your lack of prayers, or you think your prayers are, are lame and ineffective, stop trying to fix that yourself and simply say to the one who gives you the Holy Spirit, as we see here, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. What a, what a great, what a great, you know, we, we you know what, if, if I hadn't worked all week on the rest of this, we should probably just stop right here and take communion. But I worked hard on this, so... All right, so we're gonna we're gonna keep going, right? So so let's look a little bit at what Jesus wants us as he's teaching us to pray. Let's look a little bit at uh, some of the things that we can draw out of the things that, that he taught uh, about praying. So the first one is the prayer that Jesus taught is first and foremost centered on God, and that that is very disturbing to me because the fact of the matter is I thought prayer was for me. Well, it is. But the fact of the matter is, as we as we look at this, as we unpack this, Jesus begins the prayer here by saying, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So he's centering, he's starting his prayer first and foremost in a place that is centered upon God. Right. Uh, and uh, the first thing that he's concerned about is God's name and reputation right? So we want God to work in such a way that human beings worship him and that his rule would be extended all over the earth. Now, we had that great example earlier in the service of the prayer of Abraham, right? Now, now this, that is a, that's one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole of the Bible. I mean, uh, Abraham, the friend of God, acts like a friend, doesn't he? He acts like the guy who goes to the guy at midnight and knocks on his house and says, hey, give me some bread. Right? And, and he continues in that, you know, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, right? Uh, it's just like he's bargaining with them or, uh, haggling with him in, in the marketplace. But what you gotta have to see about what Abraham is doing there is he's doing exactly what Jesus says here. Because what does he say? God, just don't, you know, be, be nice about this. He says this. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in the, in the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spirit for the fifty righteous who are in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fears the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? In other words, what Abraham is saying is, look, Lord, your reputation is on the line here because you're God. You can do whatever you want to. But if you, just, if you, if you do this unrighteous act of sweeping everybody away, you treat the righteous, your people as you do the unrighteous. The fact is, what's that going to do for your reputation? Is is your name going to be hallowed, right? So in a sense, even Abraham there in, in Genesis is first and foremost coming to God and making his appeal to God based on the glory of God, the reputation of God, the fact that his name would be hallowed because of his great grace, his great mercy, his great power, right? And so it is, it's, it's a, it's a pretty profound thing for us that Abraham wants God to prove himself as just and righteous and merciful so that his reputation, God's reputation is hallowed and honored in the world. Listen, if God is reputation, if God's getting glory in your life, if God's getting glory in the world, if his kingdom is advancing, then your story and your needs are bound up in that and we can trust that God is doing good things for us, right next next slide. secondly, what we note here is after He prays that god 's name would be hallowed and his kingdom comes, he says, "Give us each day our daily bread. Now this is one of those things that Jesus says, you know on the one hand, it may seem um, uh, important, spiritual, whatever that that we ask that god 's name be hallowed, that He would be glorified, right, but then to pray for our daily bread. For many of us in this room today, uh, that's a hard thing for us to pray. Because the people that Jesus taught this prayer to when they woke up in the morning, it might be unclear whether they would have anything to eat that day. Right? Most of them were day laborers, most of them worked in a day for whatever it was they were gonna eat. They didn't have publics. They they didn't have uh, brunch. They, they didn't have a, a refrigerator at home and a, a cupboard at home full of food already, right? So when they say, Lord, give us today our daily bread, that is a prayer that has come comes directly out of the need of the moment. If I'm going to live today, if I'm going to make it today, you need to feed me, right? And And if I eat today... It'll be because you did that, not because, you know, I've I've been a great steward and I've stored up all this food in my house or anything like that. For for many of these folks, it was simply a matter out of their poverty. I You know, if I'm going to eat today, Lord, you got to give me something to eat. And honestly, the thing that's interesting, one of the things to note when I, when I learned this in one of my first very first Greek classes, the word there for bread, we hear bread and we think roast beef, right? Don't you? You know, because you, you think bread means uh food. No, it means bread. They didn't get the memo from the FDA yet that bread is bad for you. Right. But but that, that's it. All you're asking for here is some bread. Hope it's a biscuit. But uh, right. That that's that's all that you asked for in that. So I think it's a pretty profound thing for us. So what what we recognize in that is that Jesus teaches this prayer in the context of people who have very profound needs, needs for survival. And so it is okay, in fact, it is desirable that the very first thing that we pray as we come out of praying for God's kingdom to advance and for uh, his name to be hallowed is, Lord, you know, give me what I need today to live. Today. Right now, right. Then next, he goes to uh, the uh, question of forgiveness. Right, he says, "And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted uh, to us." Now, I know that one of the things that happens to many of us that keeps us from praying is that we're ashamed of our besetting sins. Uh, that we are we we feel like it uh, because we are unworthy because. We, we've sinned the same sin a million times because we, we keep falling into the same traps or or these things are true of us or, or we go these long periods of time uh, without praying. Uh, we think, how in the world is it that God wants to hear me pray? Well, the fact is you're, you're setting a higher standard for your prayers and you're setting a higher standard for praying than Jesus does. Because Jesus, is, the, the Father, is not uh, turning his ear to perfect people or to perfect prayers. Rather, he is turning his ear to sinners who need forgiveness, who cry out forgive, for forgiveness, and who know where to turn to get that forgiveness. And even more than that, as you, as you read this text, when Jesus is giving those examples at the very end, he says, if you, th- if you then who are evil... <laughs> Now that is, you know, he's saying that to his disciples. He's saying that to the guys who are right there. And he's not saying that they're, they're worse than everybody else. What he's saying is, in the scheme of things, even you who are sinners know how to give good gifts to your children. So, so the fact is, as we pray, you're not surprising God with your depravity. You're not stunning God with, wow, I thought he was better than that. <laughs> you know, I, I thought, Oh, huh, you know, you, right? The fact is, he knows, he knows that you're a sinner, and that does not change the fact that as you struggle with your sin, as, as you deal with that, you come to him recognizing the fact that he hears you, because Jesus is the way. Jesus has made the way. You don't go to pray because you deserve it. You don't go to pray because you've earned it, right? If only people who got it together, have it together, could pray, no one would pray. You know, when we um, when we uh, you probably don't read this, but on, in our bulletin every week under the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, it says West End Presbyterian Church welcomes and it, we could say Jesus, for that matter, welcomes all baptized Christians who actively trust, trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and who are willing to forsake their sin and heart idols. Right. Um. So when you come to get communion, you don't come because you've you've already done that. You come because Jesus and his grace and his mercy, because of his atoning sacrifice and because of his gift and the work of his spirit in you are made willing now to to uh, turn your back on that sin. But you can't work yourself up into a state of perfection or a state of sinlessness, and then you can pray. Now, you pray even as somebody who struggles, even as somebody who recognizes his sin. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee looks up, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people, trusts his own righteousness. The, the tax collector is like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you ask Jesus to teach you to pray and you say, have mercy on me, a sinner, those are pretty effective prayers, right? And then Jesus goes on to say uh, here uh, that he wants us to persevere in prayer, right? And he uses this example. Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This will be like uh, Michael Oberly drives back from Dulles Airport tonight uh, uh, with Eliza from the mission trip. They're late, and he does. She suddenly wants something to eat, and he comes and he knocks on your door at one thirty in the morning and says, "Hey, I just picked up Eliza at the airport. You got a sandwich?" <laughs> Right? Right? This is one of, this is a crazy example, isn't it? Because it seems like if you, if you read this parable, the, uh, at least in one way, the friend who's in bed with his children, who's kind of the cranky guy, doesn't want to get up and tells you to leave, that's kind of like, you think, that's God? God's cranky and doesn't want to be bothered and tells you to go somewhere else, you know? Hey, and so, because God is cranky, you got to keep bothering him. Because if you don't keep bothering him, he's going to roll over and go back to sleep, right? Isn't that kind of the way? Isn't that kind of the way you you think about this? But I, I think a better way to um, uh, think about this is: if, first of all, you go to that friend to get some bread at midnight because he's a friend. You don't go to a stranger to do that. Well, you could, but I you you know that might be dangerous. Right. Rather than just yell at you. Right. You might find something else goes awry at that moment. Right. So the so the fact is, hey, I'm your friend and I came to you because as your friend, because we love each other, we know each other. I, I went to you thinking that you might give this to me. So that's the first thing that you have to think about this. But the other thing is um, you, you go to him because you believe you will help. So but you also keep going to him. Right. And why do you want to keep going to him? Well, we'll, we'll look at that. Why, why would God tell us to, to keep asking, to keep knocking, to keep seeking? Right? I get this question all the time from folks. I've been praying for something for a long time. God's not giving it to me. So is he saying I should stop praying for that? Well, if you're praying for something that is evil or sinful, yes. Um, but, if you're praying for something that is the desire of your heart, something that is uh not evil or sinful, I say keep praying because in that interaction of prayer, in that work of the Holy Spirit and the wrestling and the struggle, God will either give you what he desires for you or he will change your desires. So, so the fact is, uh, uh, Jesus wants us to keep praying, even if the answer is no. One of the things that that that, <laughs> or, or apparently no. One of the things that's pretty profound about this is we read that text earlier from Abraham. You know, God shows up to Abraham and says, "In a year, about a year from now, I'm going to come see you, and you're going to have a uh, Sarah's going to have a baby." That's not the first time God's told Abraham he's going to have a baby. He Told him he's going to have a baby twenty five years ago. Do you think Abraham prayed? Over those twenty-five years for baby, twenty-five years. Have you prayed for something for twenty-five years? Yeah. Um. We we struggled mightily early in our marriage with infertility. And you know, I, I personally because that's something we went through. That you know that that felt almost cruel to me, you know? I mean, literally, you know, it's cyclical. You know, you get your hopes up, they get crushed. You get your hopes up, they get crushed over and over and over again, you know? And uh, I would say, you know, I've done a lot of living and a lot of suffering since then, but I have to say that, you know, probably the best praying I've ever done in my life was during those years, right? Um, And so the the mystery of that is, you know, why did why did we have to do that? What was going on? I don't know. I can't give you a a full answer, but I want to try to give you three reasons that seem to be biblical and seem to be graciously oriented that why God may be delaying the answer to your prayers. The first one is he loves to hear you pray. He just loves it. Like even if even if you're stopping in the middle of your prayer and ordering a chicken sandwich, the fact is your father loves you and you should not uh, you should not play down or ignore the fact that he delights to hear from you. Now, he already knows what you're going to pray. He already knows what's on your heart, but he loves to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. He is eager to welcome you to hear what you have to say, to hear what you're asking from him, right? So so it's a mysterious thing. I mean, on the one hand, it may seem mysterious. Why doesn't God give you what you want? But even more mysterious than that, God wants to hear from you. That's awesome. So he wants you to keep praying because he wants you to keep praying. He wants you to keep pursuing him. Next. Um, this is a tough one, but you know, the very act of praying speaks to us about humility. God loves, God loves humility, right? He loves the fact that, uh, that we are needy and he loves the fact that we see our neediness and we go to him because we need him. We need him to do things. We recognize our own weakness, our own, uh, 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 sin, our own failures, our own, uh, limits, and that we go to Him for help. He loves that. He, he, He finds the, the broken heart, the, uh, uh, the needy heart. He finds that irresistible. Um, He also d- delays sometimes so that the mercy we pray for will be all the sweeter. Now that's a tough one for me because I think, really, really, it'd be pretty sweet if you did it right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that, that would taste pretty good. But the fact of the matter is, you know, that God has a b- bigger view than just giving us what we want when we want it. And that's really what the thrust of this is all about, that that what's happening and God giving us these things is he has a bigger vision. And ultimately, even though it may be hard for us to see a better vision for who he is making us to be. And then lastly, weirdly, you know, sometimes sometimes when God delays in giving us what we ask for the the fact is our heart's not prepared for it really uh our our circumstances and our situation even though we think we see it all and we understand it all and we we have a comprehensive view of how things need to be he sees all he knows all and it and, and as a result of that you know things may not be in, in the most optimal way for him to meet that need at the moment Right. So something must might need to change about us. Something might need to change about our circumstances. And that doesn't mean that, you know, God's standing back and saying, until you stop doing this or start doing that, I'm not going to give it to you. It's mysterious. There just may be things that are not prepared in our world for him to give that to us. And as he works out his providence, he has to do that. And it is mysterious, right? Totally mysterious. Sometimes why God calls us to wait. Uh, and, and lastly, sometimes we ask for a fish and it seems like we did get a snake, doesn't it? Right. And so what Jesus is getting at here, you know, it seems, you know, we, we, we pray, we pray, we pray. And then it seems like the answer to our prayer is exactly the the wrong thing. Right. But the fact is what we have to get back to as we pray, as, as we seek these things and here, here's, here's a great example of that. You know, um, I can say this now because I'm on the other side of that. Um, there's, there are many nerve-wracking things about being a parent. One of the, one of the mer- most nerve-wracking things about being a parent culturally, and it is a dumb thing and it is a terrible thing that our culture does to us, is college admissions. That is a dumb thing. It is a terrible thing. Right. And so one of the things one of the things that happens to us is, you know, when I had I had my my kids college careers mapped out. I knew where they needed to go. Marty knew where they needed to go. We didn't agree with that, but on that. But but anyway, uh, we had we had our ideas, what we prayed for and none of it worked out. They didn't go anywhere where I wanted them to go at all, period. It was dumb, disappointing, <laughs> terrible right? No, it wasn't. This is the best thing that happened. Now, you know, if I'd gotten what I wanted, would they be terrible people? (laughs) Would they be, you know, I don't know, whatever. I don't know about that, but it worked out. You know, they have friends. Who knew that they would have friends at those dumb schools? (laughs) Who knew that uh, they would, uh, experience, uh, Christ in different ways in those schools than, than what I thought they should. But they did. And, and it, believe it or not, each one of them has framed in their house somewhere now a thing that says they actually graduated from college. Right? That seemed like such a big deal. I remember being so brokenhearted. I remember after getting one rejection letter with one of my kids, going to eat breakfast because, you know, nothing like a greasy omelet to make disappointment feel better. And I thought, you know, the world's coming to an end. This, this kid's never going to make it. Thanks for the snake, right? So the reality is that so we must keep this simple fact before us. God is father and we are children. And that is great. And that is as it should be. And the fact of the matter is, in my saner moments, I don't want to be father. I want to be the child. Right? The father always keeps the right to do what is best for the children, even if they don't understand, especially at the moment, why it is best. If this were not so, then we would be saying that we should run the father's house. We should be the father and he should be the child. Which in this case would mean we should rule the universe and God should learn from us how to do it. <laughs> Which, I don't know, that sounds pretty good. Anyway, um, prayer has never meant that God should stop being God. We do not have the wisdom or the grace to run the universe. God is God and he will continue to decide how to run the universe in the best way. If we ask him for a fish, he will not give us a snake because he's good and he loves us. Right? Right. I mean, what father, you, you know, you know that you judge other people's parenting all the time because they give their kids whatever they ask for. And you think that's bad. Right? Don't we do that? You know the indulgent parent. You know that they're spoiling those kids. They're going to regret that. Right? Next slide. So at the end, what he says is, how much more so then will God give us what we want? No, what he says is, how much more so will God give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it, right? So he he says he will give us the Holy Spirit. Why the Holy Spirit? Well, you and I need the Holy Spirit as children to see rightly, to know who our real enemy is. To strengthen us in the true fight, to teach us to pray, to strengthen us in faith toward God and love toward one another, and especially to point us to Christ and see that in Him, the victory's already been won. You see, that is the thing that has to happen that kind of needs to change in us, right? Because, because the the, the fact is, what is, it's the humility that's involved in prayer is not just that I am needy, But I'm needy. I know I'm needy. But honestly, I can't fully trust myself to know what it is I need. Right? But that's what makes prayer such a rich thing is because God is so good and so gracious. He knows what we need. And he delights in hearing us ask, even if you ask for the wrong thing. Right. As we come to the Lord's table today, I want you to to see and to know that as you confess your sins and as you reflect upon uh, maybe your own temptation to bitterness, that God has not given you exactly what you wanted as you wanted it to remember this, that Jesus is our way. And the very fact that you have a father in heaven who loves you and the very fact that you have access to him is because Jesus Christ lived your life, died your death. And he is the way you pray through Jesus to your father. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's use this uh, prayer of confession uh, that's printed uh, in the bulletin uh, based on uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 and uh, Psalm 79. Pray with me. Has a nation changed its gods? even though they are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, That can hold no water. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. We were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive together with him. He has forgiven us all our trespasses. He canceled the debt that stood against us. He nailed it to the cross. So as we read, on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. Now, as I do, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Your father loves you. That's the foundation. That's the the reality of why we pray. And your father loves you because Jesus Christ has atoned for your sin. Because Jesus Christ has made you righteous. And because in Jesus Christ, you have a father, you are his child. That's really where life begins for us. That's where our identity is rooted. That is who we are. And that is our trust. That is our hope. That is our joy. That is our life. So when you come to the table and you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're recognizing that fact that your father loves you, that Jesus Christ, your older brother has atoned for you and that your needy soul has all of its needs met in the work of Jesus Christ for you. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you know that you have no other hope except the work of Christ for you, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he invites you today to to do business with him, to cry out to him, uh, to challenge him on the basis of his love and his grace and his reputation because the reputation of Jesus Christ, the glory of God, is displayed before you this day. This God who died for you hears you, intercedes for you, and even at this moment loves you intensely. Uh, as the uh, elders and uh, deacons come down front uh, to assist me, let me remind you that uh, the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.